This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Welcome, friends, to Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program where we explain the benefits of Christianity for personal happiness and human flourishing. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And you can check us out at our website, evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. You can listen to us on iTunes. We have podcasts and archived shows there. So we have about two and a half years plus of previous shows that you can listen to. You can also listen to us on TuneIn Radio app if you have an iPod, iPad, or iPhone. Anything with an I in front of it, I think, gets our show. If you'd like to email us, please email us at email at evidenceforfaith.com and please include how you're listening to us either on one of the many radio stations that we're on or by podcast. Let us know. Today we're having a great show, Mike. We're interviewing Pam Stenzel, a name that does not need much introduction. Correct. This is a, uh, a lady whose ministry involves teens and young adults and she travels internationally and speaks to over half a million kids all over the world about purity and abstinence. So I'm really excited to uh, um, be talking with her. Absolutely. Yeah, we're looking forward to this great show. I've got a news item, though, first. This is so interesting. You know, we like to keep you on top of the scientific evidence that shows that Christianity is true. And one of the things that Christianity teaches is that God designed life. And so when we examine life, we ought to find things that look like they're designed. And this is a really interesting study that reveals that bacteria can communicate by radio signals. AM or FM, Keith? Uh, actually, both. They do address that in here. This is totally amazing to me. It, uh, this study shows that chromosomes might act in a matter synonymous with radio antenna involving electrons traveling around DNA loops to produce species-specific wavelengths that allows them to communicate with each other. Here's a quote from the abstract of the study. It shows the electromagnetic signals between different bacteria within a community is a wireless version of intracellular communication found in bacterial communities connected by nanowires. So what they're doing is referring to, back to previous studies that have shown that bacteria will actually send across between them little wires, nanowires that allow them to communicate with each other. So this is, they believe, an enhanced form of this type of communication. And it's additional information from a previous study, apparently in 2009, there was a study that showed that they were able to detect electromagnetic signals after wrapping inductor coils around flasks of water hooked up to an amplifier and the flask contained E. coli. 
the frequency of the signals measured was about one kilohertz. So this is just incredible news. And, you know, we had Dr. Stephen Myers on the show not long ago, and he has a little phrase that he says that one gets the eerie feeling that someone has figured all this stuff out before us. And that's certainly true. There's an incredible complexity in the cell, not just radio signals, but rotary motors, sliding clamps, turbines, signal transduction circuits, all kinds of incredible complexity. It's just an amazing world and life is incredibly complex and, and amazingly designed. Well, Mike, let's bring in our guest today if you want to introduce her. Yes, Pam Stenzel has been on the speaking circuit for nearly 20 years and she's dedicated her life to getting the message to teenagers about uh, the price tag that goes along with early sexual experiences. Uh, not only the disease states, but also the emotional hurts and pains. And uh, welcome, Pam, to the show. Great to be with you. Pam, I uh, have always admired the message that you've given to the kids at Kingdom Bound. We've been going there since 1996 with our church youth group, and uh, we make it a requirement that they listen to your program uh, when you're the keynote speaker at uh, Kingdom Bound. And um, I always learn something from you, and I really appreciate the message that you're giving people. In fact, I can tell you that in my own internal medicine practice, I have used one of the phrases that you taught me, and that's saved sex as opposed to safe sex, because as we all know, there's no such thing as safe sex. Would you expand on that? <laughs> well, only within marriage. One partner has only been with you. So uh, one of the things I, I tell kids is you cannot sin safely. I mean, I, I think we're in a generation where we actually believe that we can do the wrong thing and just make it safer somehow. But but it, it seems like uh, there's always uh, something lurking in the background that says, yeah, gotcha, you can't do it safely. That's Pam, we have as a theme of this show a continuing theme that when you follow Christianity and when you follow the teaching of, of the Bible, that you will live a better life. And now we know this isn't always true, but is this true in the realm of sexuality? Is it really a better life to follow, say, the you biblical know, guideline? I think we're, we're finding that more and more the case because you know, like I said, you know, for years we kind of thought, we don't need these rules, and we had the sexual revolution of the 60s, and an entire generation threw out all the, the, you know, oh, we don't need to listen to our parents, and sex is free, and we can do whatever we want, and, and now we're dealing with a massive STD outbreak, we're dealing with massive infertility, infertility among women has risen over uh, 500% in just a decade, and we're, we're only beginning to see, you know, the, the, the outcomes of that. And uh, not to mention the abortion issue and the millions of children that have lost their lives uh, because of this. And then now with MRI and our ability to begin to understand bonding chemicals in the brain, we're realizing the damage that not just sex outside of marriage, but pornography and sexual imagery can do to our brain and our, brain and our bonding function. And I find it fascinating that when when we begin to hear on the radio and, and in our news uh, of all, you know, of all of our politicians and golfers and <laughs> governors who are having sexual addiction issues, they're always running to therapy. Well, you know, the reality is this. We're finding out that these, this uh, misuse of our sexuality damages 
not just our uh, our body physically in the terms of STDs, but but also damages our brain. And you know, at the end of the day, I, I was listening to your opening, and it was fascinating. And and I believe that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made, and clearly, <laughs> there's a creator. Um, because this just boggles my mind. I'm I'm like going every day. It seems we learn something new, and and learning the absolute infinity of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Well, Pam, you mentioned that um, infertility has risen over 500 percent recently, and you sort of alluded to the fact that it's related to uh, sexually transmitted diseases. Specifically, let's talk about chlamydia and what happens to a female's fallopian tubes with repetitive exposures and infections. Well, certainly chlamydia, which is a nasty bacteria, which is one of the more common STDs we're seeing among teenagers, and and primarily because it's easy and cheap to test for. So uh, all of the free clinics are testing and and screening on a regular basis for chlamydia. Um, Not only does... An infection with chlamydia block and damage fallopian tubes, which makes it difficult for an egg, obviously, to make its way from the ovary down into the uterus and properly implant. And Anne can make a young girl, if she's got scarred tubes, uh, at risk for tubal pregnancy, which is deadly. It could kill her. Very dangerous. But we found out something fascinating just in the last probably six to seven years. We were doing a lot of IVF on women who were having trouble conceiving in vitro fertilization where we would remove their egg and obviously uh, fertilize the egg in a Petri dish and then reinsert that embryo into her uterus. We were finding massive miscarriage problems in women who'd had chlamydia infections. And what we found out is when a woman, a young girl, has chlamydia infection in her uterus or in her tubes, she produces uh, HSP, and this HSP that she produces tells her white blood cells that there's an infection, and the white blood cells do what white blood cells are supposed to do, and they run down to the the site of infection and attack it. Well, what they found out is when an embryo is implanted into uh, a woman's uterus, what happens is that produces HSP, and the white blood cells read it just like they read a chlamydia infection, and they think it's an infection. They run there and attack and actually kill that embryo that's attempting to grow in her uterus. And so the, basically what's happening is, is there, there's a memory left over, if, mm. if we can put it scientifically that way. The, their white blood cells remember infections of chlamydia, and, and then they attack uh, new babies. And so a woman who has this problem ends up having to find a surrogate womb because her body just will not allow her to carry a child to term. Now, would this also be true, Pam, for those who are not, uh, going through in vitro, but say just know that they had a previous infection in the past. Now they're married, and now they want to have children. So they wind up having miscarriages. Would that be the same process? Sure. I mean, if they're having miscarriages, obviously we wouldn't always know exactly why until you know. A lot of this stuff is we don't know until you try to get pregnant, until you're in a position where you're trying. Uh, exactly what it is that's causing the problem. And and I think the hardest thing with teenagers is we're telling, how do you get through to a 17-year-old girl that what she does on prom night could affect her when she's 27 trying to have children? I mean, that seems eons down the road. They cannot think past what feels good in the moment to understand what's best for them long term. You know, Pam, you you alluded to uh, the sexual revolution uh, but there's there's something a little bit more, and I, I'd like to frame this in the context of what's actually 
uh, happened to society starting with 1960. The first birth control pill was marketed in 1960. And of course, Madeleine O'Hara was successful, successful at the Supreme Court level in removing uh, prayer from the public schools in uh, 1962. And then subsequent to that, we had the uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll revolution of the late 60s and 70s. And now we're reaping the fruit. It's not only my generation, but it's, it's my generation's children who grew up in a very, very liberal environment. And now we have a problem. And the major problem is this. Kids are making bad choices, and bad choices lead to consequences. And some of the consequences I not only see in my office, but we're seeing them, you know, outside of the realm of, of infectious diseases, we're also seeing the psychological wounds and scars, which I'm sure you see a whole lot of because you have the psychology background. Right. And, and the problem is that a lot of these don't rear their heads. The psychological scars don't rear their heads often until 10 and 15 years later, just like the, the medical stuff doesn't always rear its head until later. And this is a giant problem because, because teenagers already have frontal lobe problems where their, their brain hasn't fully developed to the point where they can fully get the fact that, you know, I, I, this may cause me problems later. And, and so they're, they're impetuous and they do things that feel good in the moment and they don't think long term. And, and so this constant need to, to remind an entire generation of kids that, that their choices have physical and emotional consequences long term. Our infidelity rate is ridiculous. And I think part of the problem with that is that a generation, mine and the one before me, believed that the behavior that we did before we walked an aisle would never affect what we did after we were married. And we were just plain wrong. The reality is uh, the earlier the onset of sex and the more sexual partners you have, the greater incidences of infidelity during the marriage. And this seems like that would be, in my world, I would say that's obvious, but it's taken a lot of studies for us to finally admit it. In fact, the University of Iowa finally admitted all of the, the ramifications of early sexual involvement for divorce and infidelity and marriage. And uh, it was a pretty landmark study that just came out a month ago. And so we're finally just beginning to deal with these issues. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. Today we're talking to uh, Pam Stenzel, who travels internationally and speaks to more than a half a million teenagers per year. Uh, about the life of purity and character that are necessary to survive in this world. She had a, um, an award-winning video in 1993, Sex Has a Price Tag, which was translated into over 11 different foreign languages, and it was the Charleston International Film Festival Gold Award winner in 1997. She's developed public school curricula uh, on abstinence by choice, and it's uh, been adopted in North America, South America, Australia, but Pam, I find it curious that it was not really adopted in Europe. Any comments on that? <laughs> well, beyond some of the language issues, I think the Europeans have always been a little bit like, you know, we don't, we don't need this problem. We've got it under control and, and have kind of been in the forefront of, uh, of leading, you know, at least the last 20 years saying, well, look, at, we don't have a teen pregnancy problem. Well, their infertility is skyrocketing. They're not reproducing their own population, and um, and their STI issue is is out of control there as well. So, uh, you know, the, the 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 powers that be will always put a spin on things. You know, look at our pregnancy rates down, but they don't mention the fact that there there's so much uh, STI infection that they can't get pregnant if they wanted to be. So. Uh, 
you know, it, it's kind of an issue that we're having. But, you know, the, 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 in the United States, we've had the same battle. I mean, for about eight years, we had some really good, strong uh, leadership from the government that encouraged abstinence and at least delaying sexual onset until after high school. And all of a sudden, the new administration comes in, and they say, you know what, the, the 20% or less of the pie that we gave to abstinence education, I mean, we're, we're not even talking about the Bush administration saying all sex education is abstinence. I mean, they still gave 80% of their money to the wrong stuff. But 20% at least was finally given to abstinence education and character education. Well, the new administration came in, and last year I was asked to speak at uh, DHHS for the abstinence educators, whoever uh, hired me uh, from DHHS fired got fired after I left, I'm sure, but they announced, this administration announced that there is no longer, will be no money at all given to absence education. I mean, the little measly 20% we were given has been completely wiped away as of September of last year. So now there's no federal money for absence education in the United States at all. Wow, that's incredible. Pam, do you have any statistics about abstinence? Um, Is there... Are there countries around the world that have tried using only abstinence uh, education, and what kind of results have they had? Well, well, what you need to understand is when we use the term abstinence only, that can kind of give people, like, false ideas, as if someone who teaches abstinence only walks into a classroom and says, all right, kids, just don't have, have sex. Thanks for coming to class, and, and it's over. I mean, the reality is abstinence, true abstinence education, and, and that's what I do, spends a lot of time explaining to students uh, all of the options, certainly birth control, condoms, and those things, but explains their failure rate and reminds students on a regular basis that the only way to avoid an unplanned pregnancy, STIs, and all of the emotional baggage and garbage that can come with early sex is to not have sex. Everything else is a Band-Aid. But the problem is when we say abstinence only, people conjure up in their mind this weird idea of, of just, you know, the church lady walking in and telling kids don't have sex, thanks for coming to class, you know. And, and, and the problem with, what, then they term the other, the other side, if we can call it that, comprehensive. And, and that is the, the, the biggest lie, because comprehensive sex education is anything but comprehensive. Basically, the only thing they do is say, y'all can do whatever you want, it's no big deal, everybody's doing it, enjoy it, have fun, there aren't that many consequences, and, you know, use a condom and make sure you're on birth control. End of discussion. They don't even bring up the, any of the uh, emotional issues, even if condoms were 100%, and they certainly don't discuss the failure rate of birth control and condoms. So the whole, the, the whole conversation bothers me. If you want to hear or see some great stats, we've got the best stats in the U.S. because we spent eight years actually working strongly with abstinence education, and um, the National uh, Abstinence Education Association, NAEA, has a great website. It's called abstinenceworks.com. And if you go there, you'll see all of the research. In fact, it was fascinating that literally within two weeks of President Obama and the DHHS uh, removing all money from abstinence education and putting it back into the hands of Planned Parenthood and SICUS and the, the comprehensive sex people, literally within two weeks, I had barely landed home from D.C., when the, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics released a study showing that abstinence education was actually working in very at-risk populations in the state of Pennsylvania. And it, it, we're sitting here going, what is wrong with people? I mean, you, it doesn't seem to matter 
when you put evidence, solid scientific evidence, in the hands of some of these ideologues because they don't want the evidence. They don't want to look at the studies. They just want, they'll only look at what, you know, seems to uh, agree with, with their worldview in the beginning. Pam, you mentioned that birth control and condoms don't work. Now, obviously, they don't work as far as preventing uh, babies 100%, but they also fail to protect against uh, uh, venereal diseases. Can you give the kids the statistics right now on condom failure as far as disease prevention? Well, condoms fail about 50% of the time when it comes to chlamydia, gonorrhea, and some of these bacterial infections. Uh, Condoms fail. On a good day, we're going to give it 10% of the time for HIV, but... But the reality is this, the 10% uh, failure rate with HIV is with two partners, typically adults, who know that the other partner is seropositive and have been given condoms from a lab. That, that's where they get their high, uh, you know, 90% uh, rate. So 50% for chlamydia, may, I'll give them 10% for HIV on a good day. And then for HPV and herpes, which are viral STDs, HPV, by the way, human papillomavirus, the number one STD in the world, condoms don't protect at all because these are skin-contracted viruses, and all it requires is skin contact anywhere in the entire genital area, and you're infected for life. Males will carry both herpes and HPV not only on the penis but on the scrotum. And so the reality is condoms cannot possibly prevent a skin-contracted virus when we can't completely cover the entire genital area. So when you look at that kind of a failure rate, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then with birth control, what we're not telling, again, especially our girls, birth control does not protect against STIs at all. But more than that, especially Depo-Provera, which is a horrible, horrible method of birth control, which is a shot which basically chemically slams a young girl into menopause, um, uh, and and then the birth control pill as well, which is a hormone is a hormone that they're taking, actually increases risk of STD infection by ten times. It changes the the vaginal wall as well as the cervix of the the cervix, sorry the surface of the cervix. So it literally physiologically makes a young girl more susceptible to infection. Pam, on this show, we talked about an interesting study that came out recently that showed that birth control pills actually affect a woman psychologically into what she considers to be an attractive partner or not. Are are you familiar with that study? You know, you need to send me that link because I would love to read more. This has been absolutely fascinating, the things that we are finding out about how our brain works. And, you know, we used to tell teenagers, the most important sex organ that you have is not below your belt, it's your brain, and people would kind of laugh, and, well, that can't be true. But the reality is the more we learn, the more we realize that that is, in fact, true. And, uh, and for some reason, our girls are far more susceptible, especially when it comes to bonding, to depression, and to all of these things when it comes to the abuse of sex. I, um, uh, there's a book by... Uh, She's actually a writer for the Washington Post, but she wrote Unhooked, completely from a secular standpoint. Her name is Laura Sessions Step, and she was basically looking at the hookup culture and what it's doing to primarily to girls. And, and the reality, you know, the average number of sexual partners today for people under the age of 30 is 27.2. And, and the reality is that you cannot have this kind of mixing of the population and not have damage 
uh, come to our ability to, you know, to not not only our physical bodies, but our ability to to have bonds and 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 strong marriages and build strong families. You know, Pam, I I wanted to make a comment about human papillomavirus. Uh, I do give the vaccine to um, people age below the age of twenty six. It's a series of three shots. And I would recommend that to all young people get that. It's available for both men and women. But the interesting thing that I found out about human papillomavirus is that they're doing ongoing research right now as far as oral pharyngeal ongoing infection and carrier states as a cause for uh, cancers of the tonsil and the pharynx, which can occur 15 to 20 years after the exposure. So I, I, right now I have one young man who's being treated very aggressively. He's 39 years old for head and neck cancer, and that was the first thing that I thought of as to whether or not he was engaging in a safe sexual practice, i.e. oral sex, at a young age and came uh, under this uh, exposure. So right. one of the and messages all, that I like to tell my young... Safe. Uh, I'm sorry. It, it, there's absolutely every STD is transmitted that way. And I was just recently speaking in Colorado Springs and got a chance to sit next to a physician, one of the doctors who is doing premier a lot of the research here in throat and oral cancers, and literally he said this spike of especially males, for whatever reason that is, in oral and throat cancer as a result of HPV. We thought we had taken care of it when we, you know, did the big campaign against chewing tobacco and told all the baseball players to quit chewing, and and now we're seeing this huge increase in in throat and oral cancers. In fact, Michael Douglas, who is admitted to having throat cancer, actually admitted in an article in People Magazine, I don't know if he knew what he was admitting to, but I'm just reading People Magazine because I want mindless reading on a plane about six months ago. And Michael <laughs> Douglas admitted that his throat cancer is not a result of his smoking, but is a result of HPV infection. And, and here's the other thing that we need to be clear about the vaccines for HPV. The vaccine for girls, for HPV, is good for four out of 100 strains of this virus. And although they say that 70% of the ones that cause uh, cervical cancer and, and warts issues, the problem is this, that's a 30% in my world loophole that you can drive a truck through. Uh, and, the, and for the boys, it's only two, and they really have no way of knowing for sure long term because we aren't testing or screening guys for HPV. We can't do it. It's a horribly expensive blood test. So the reality is this. It's a shot in the dark. I know Merck is excited. They made $4 billion in the first year only vaccinating girls, so I'm sure now they're making 8 to $12 billion. But, uh, but uh, other than the money, the reality is this. You can be vaccinated, and you're still at risk for, HP, for not only HPV infection but cervical cancer. And every girl that's been vaccinated will need a regular PEP test, whether she's vaccinated or not. And what's scaring me is... Just about a year ago when we started having the health care debate stuff go on, they said there, that the ACOG was only going to recommend breast uh, um, mammograms for women over the age of 50, and everyone freaked out and said, wait a minute, there are women who get breast cancer before 50, and that's not a good guideline, and it should be before that. But underneath the, a news, the news story that no one paid attention to was this. They said that they were not going to pay for pap tests for any woman who had received the Gardasil vaccine. And I'm like, wait a minute. So if I get my daughter vaccinated with Gardasil, if, if according to, and this hadn't, hasn't happened yet, but if it did, would, would, would the new health care laws prevent my daughter from being regularly screened for cervical cancer? 
because they believe they've reduced her risk of, of getting cervical cancer. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that frustrates me to no end about the medical community. Gardasil does not guarantee you will not develop cervical cancer. The only way to guarantee that is to not have sex, marry someone who's never had sex, and stay faithful to that partner. End of discussion. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Pam, how many sexually transmitted diseases are awaiting our teenagers at this moment in time? Well, depending on who you look and, list, uh, and, and what stat you look at, it'll be anywhere between the 25 to 30 different major STDs that we're dealing with. And right now, uh, we, we believe that one in four of our teenagers is currently infected with some STD. We've got about uh, 14,000 new infections daily among teenagers in our country. And actually, the new sex ed curriculum that the government has now unveiled since they won't teach absence education, the new sex ed curriculum now says this, everybody gets an STD, everybody gets one. And what's interesting is what they're trying to do now with all of the messaging that's coming out uh, from not only the government but from CECAS and Planned Parenthood is this, not only are they saying everybody gets one, but they're saying STIs or STDs or whatever, flowers, whatever they want to call them, given whatever year they decide. But what they're saying now is they're no big deal. It's not such a big deal. Most of you will just shed them. Everyone gets it. It's like the common cold. There should be what they're trying to do is to say to kids, you shouldn't feel guilty or weird or shamed or, or anything like that. You should just, everyone gets an STI. It happens to all of us. Just be a doctor and get it taken care of. Pam, abstinence is a bad word, and so is virgin. How do, we, how do we overcome that obstacle? Well, I think we're beginning to see a pendulum shift in the midst of all the yuck we've probably talked about. It should probably be good to, to hear that the CDC said not just four months ago that we now have more virgins in high school than we have had in 15 years. So despite this onslaught of insane messages being given to kids, not only by the media uh, but also now by their school systems, the reality is many, many more kids are choosing to wait to have sex. And when you begin to ask the kids who are choosing to wait, why are they making that decision, um, a lot of them will say uh, it's a, there's a faith component to it, which, again, brings in this concept that the reality is when a, child, when a student uh, embraces their faith, they're much more apt to make better choices on all of the levels of these at-risk behaviors. But, but beyond that, a lot of them are starting to say, you know what, we've... We, We've seen the mess that this has done to our friends, and we just want something more than that. A, a lot of teenagers are saying to me, you know what, we're just sick of it. It's being thrown in our face every day. And it's almost like, you know, a little bit of chocolate cake is great, but the entire thing is going to make you want to throw up. And, and we may be reaching that saturation point where, um, you know, where they, they've just gotten too much and, and they just want to pull back a little bit from it. You know, Pam, I wanted to uh, make a couple of comments about uh, peer pressure uh, because, you know, it, it, it's more than just what the, the word at face value means. It's, it's more than just guys pressuring guys to score, and it's more than just girls ostracizing the pure. Uh, I have guys in my practice, young men in high school, who tell me that a different girl is hitting on them every week. And I had a young man in my office uh, recently with a new, new case, newly diagnosed uh, case of herpes. And uh, I told him that that's going to be for life. And the first year is going to be a little rough, but we can control it. But it's going to forever change 
his outlook on women and their 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 ability to look at him you know so the, right. the peer pressure thing is is a huge problem in our schools well you know one of the things you alluded to from the boys is that the girls are being very very aggressive and and i think the saddest thing for me when i see that happen is that the media message to to young women is finally i think taken hold what we've told girls what we've screamed at our girls is that what makes them valuable is their body. Everything they see, everything that they ingest when it comes to media, tells girls that the only thing that gives them value is whether or not they can turn a guy's head. And, you know, 30, 40, what, 40 probably years past the feminist movement and this whole idea that they were going to, you know, help women and, and, and bring women up to a higher level, we've, we've managed to just literally throw women in the gutter. And there is no way that my daughter is better off than my grandmother was. There is just no way. And the reality is the message has been clear to an entire generation of girls from, the t from selling them push-up bras when they're eight years old to, to tots and tiaras and, and this mess that we're in is that we basically just told girls that, that sexuality is what gives them value. Pam, it seems like this issue of the hookup culture that has you know, there in high school and then on into college is really leaving women in college with an epidemic of depression. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, you know, and when we've, when it's been, uh, Dr. Miriam Grossman has a wonderful book called Unprotected, and then I also alluded to a book called Unhooked by Laura Sessions Step, and there's another book called Hooked by Dr. McElhaney and Dr. Um, Ruth, and I can see her face, and it's not Ruth, the one you're thinking of. Um, anyway, <laughs> my, th these are all; these have all shown the depression link, and it would be fascinating for for um, your listeners to get a hold of these amazingly well well done books. But one of the things that they found is that that depression among women has gotten very high, and this concept that they can have multiple multiple sex and treat sex like a game. And, you know, hook up with a guy, grab their clothes at 2 o'clock in the morning, make their way to their own dorm with no one even caring whether they made it there safe, and then not worry whether or not he calls her again the next day after she just gave herself completely to him. Uh, and then being the one to have to worry about, did she get chlamydia? Will it affect her future ability to have children? Uh, all of these things are, are, are damaging our girls uh, and, and obviously their ability to, to function. Uh, psychologically, emotionally, and, and, and academically. And I, and I think this, one of the things that I found really telling when I talked to college girls who've gone through this is I asked them, how do you get to the point where you can literally not care whether you know that guy's name or you think you don't care? And you know what they say? Alcohol. Every time. Uh, these girls are using alcohol as a drug in order to bring themselves to the point where they can emotionally numb themselves where it doesn't matter who they're having sex with. And, and that's a whole other world of damage we're dealing with. In fact, I saw it on a news show where a girl was being asked in this bad economy how she was uh, making uh, money as a stripper, basically, you know, uh, uh, I think she was bartending topless. And they asked her, how did she do it? How did she get ready for a shift? She seemed to have everything else in her life in order and then she's doing this she said vodka she just downs vodka before she goes on her shift and then she can then she can seem to function without caring 
And uh, what a sad commentary that, that we've gotten to that place with our, our young women. And, you know, I, I would say this to pastors, and I hope we have some pastors who are listening. What they need to understand is that beginning to enter into their churches in their late 20s into their early 30s are a lot of broken young people who have lived probably five to ten years of their life in this kind of a cultural setting, so to speak, and are now thinking they can try to get married, make it work, and, and try and form some some type of family. And it's going to be desperately important that in our churches we begin to really reach out and offer help and healing and support groups and everything that we need to try and keep these young families together because uh, the odds are severely against them. Well, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. Today we're talking to Pam Stenzel regarding the state of teenage sexuality in the year 2011 and why purity more than ever before is important. Uh, Pam has been um, uh, featured as a speaker at the United Nations for the Summit on Children Conference in June of 2001. She also participated in President Bush Bush's faith-based and community initiatives meeting held at the White House in May of 2001, and her video curriculum, Sex, Love, and Relationships, received the Crown Award for Curriculum of the Year in 1999 in Hong Kong, Singapore, Africa, and Ireland. Pam, I got a question for you here. Uh, children are having sex at younger and younger ages, and yet are having great difficulty moving out of their homes into their late 20s, out of their parents' homes, really, into their late 20s. Is there a connection there? Yeah, you know, that would be an interesting study to look at. I wonder if the Heritage Foundation hasn't done some, some studies on that where we're finding that kids are not able to be self-sufficient as quickly or as earlier as they would have been. And, 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 and whether or not some of that is due, especially if you've got a, a young 13, 14-year-old having a child. I mean, I was in Chicago recently and met a 24-year-old grandmother and uh, I made her do the math because she was holding a baby, and she goes, that's my grandchild, and I'm not a great judge of age. So I'm like, well, how old are you? She goes, I'm 24. And I'm like, uh, you're going to need to do the math for me. When she was 12, she had a, a, a baby girl, and she was holding her 12-year-old daughter's son. And, and so this is another problem that we're going to have with generational, not, you know, generational children having children having children having children. Yeah, I was curious as to whether or not there were some psychological scars happening uh, that sort of disempowered their ability to uh, get on the move and, and get a job and move out and, and be self-sufficient, you know? You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to, you know, the hard thing with, with especially psychological studies, it's not as easy as studying the medicine and the, the, the physiological things because cause and effect is very difficult to pin down. Uh, what caused what caused what is, is sometimes hard and and psychological studies, but 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 I will say this: we all know that early earlier sexual involvement uh, comes with a lot of problems long term. Uh, the earlier you start to have sex, the more sexual partners you have, uh, the more the damage to your bonding ability and your damage uh, your ability to uh, obviously uh, be faithful in, in any kind of marriage and 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 not go through divorce and infidelity. So, all of those things are going to contribute to. To a lot of the issues. Plus, you know, when I go to schools and speak, I do a lot of public school assemblies and faith-based school assemblies as well, but when I speak in the public schools, it's interesting because 
sometimes they'll be like, well, why are we taking an hour out of our class time to deal with sex and deal with these issues? You know, and I'm sitting here going, do you really think that the girl that just got dumped by her boyfriend and is watching him walk down the hall with girl number two or number three is really concentrating in algebra? Because I'm thinking she might be uh, dealing with some of her own personal issues that are affecting her ability to do algebra. And, uh, and so we're not even beginning to deal with some of the damage that can come to our kids academically when they are so emotionally distraught that they can't concentrate on what they should be concentrating on. Pam, earlier on you mentioned about some MRI studies that talk about what's happening inside a young woman's brain and this bonding issue. These MRI studies and PET scanner studies, to me, are very, very fascinating how we're figuring out how the brain works. Can you just address that issue with bonding? Yeah, and, and the book women? Hooked will address it. It's called Hooked by Dr. McElhaney and Frida Bush. That's her name, Dr. Frida Bush. Um, you can get that and get it in detail. But, but the fascinating thing, and, and, and Doctor, you'll appreciate this in my world, I have to take very difficult medical information and make it acceptable or accessible to 14-year-olds. So when you hear me talk about the medicine, it may not be real technical, but it's the way I need to do it for kids. Um, women produce a, 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 a neuron in their brain called um, oxytocin, and oxytocin occurs really four times in a woman's in a woman's life when she's hugging, and I mean extensive hugging, like touching, and then uh, at orgasm, at the onset of labor, and then also while nursing a baby. And teenagers find this very fascinating. I, I love it that when you nurse a baby, that baby's eyes are li literally within six inches of your face. Whereas, you know, cows, I mean, they're just like, I'm in the field eating my grass, catch me, right? But for humans, we're actually holding our child, and that oxytocin is helping a mother bond to her own child. And that's why I tell people, you know, I, I love teenagers, but there are three children on the face of this earth that, that I care about to distraction, and they're mine. And, and, and part of that is the, the chemical bond that goes on uh, in your brain. But um, males will produce... Uh, a similar uh, thing in their brain called vesopressin, and so they call that the monogamy hormone. And it would be interesting, maybe someone listening might want to make a lot of money. I'm looking for the, there's going to be probably, if it's not Merck, some pharmaceutical company that's going to come up with a synthetic way to, to reproduce the effects of vesopressin in a male brain. And then Tiger Woods and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Congressman <laughs> Weiner and all the rest will actually get to take a pill for their terrible behavior. And uh, I, I, whoever it is that's making it, I want to get in on it now because they're going to be independently wealthy, really. <laughs> oh, that was good, Pam. So, so what you're saying, Pam, is that this hormone is released at orgasm. So what's happening then in the, our hookup culture to these young women? Well, basically, we're losing it, it. We lose that ability to, to bond. I mean, it, it. We're for one thing, it's telling us to trust someone we shouldn't trust. When you hear the the word "love is blind," or when you see, and we've joked about it, where you see a girl who's with a guy, and we're all like, "Is she lost her mind?" Because the rest of us can see that he's a complete idiot, but for some reason, she can't see it. Well, she's had a little oxytocin problem. The oxytocin is blinding her to probably what she should be seeing. And then what we're finding, especially with both oxytocin and vesopressin in males, is that it loses its ability. You know, if you left it uniquely, where the only time I experienced this flood in my brain, 
uh, of oxytocin was with my husband and with my children. Um, actually, eventually, it's kind of like Pavlov's dog. When you give food, he sal- salivates, and you ring a bell at the same time. Eventually, they'll salivate with just the bell. Um, eventually, that that feeling in my brain will happen with just the sight of my husband because I have so trained my brain to bond only to him. And and that's the brilliance of it. And and this is kind of where we start to bring in this concept of the damage of pornography and not just the actual physical act of sex, but masturbation and pornography and all of these things that, that chemically release these things in our brains to a picture and not even a real person. And it just damages our ability to bond. When I used to speak to junior hires, I used to do it like duct tape, and I'd say sex has the ability to bond people together, like this tape, and I'd wrap duct tape around my arm, and it'd stick really good the first time, and then I'd say, I don't want the tape here anymore, and I'd rip it off, and pieces of my arm would come with the back of the tape, move it on to the next person, and the next person, and the next, and pretty soon the tape's going to stick to nothing, because it's got so much junk from every place it's been before then. So that that's kind of the, the junior high <laughs> physical way I want the kids to kind of see this. And we have about uh, 10 minutes left, and I wanted to shift gears a little bit. Uh, first a comment and then a question. Um, obviously, safe sex is the mantra in the high school uh, health classes across the globe. Your message, saved sex goes countercurrent and counterculture, uh, and really counter to the urges and the impulses of the teenage boys and girls who are looking for that immediate gratification. How do we get these kids that, let's say, you don't speak to directly, how do we get them the information uh, that they need and the information that their parents need, the information their their youth pastors need to help them to stay pure? Well, you know, I here's the deal. Parents who are out there, no excuses. Read. There's so much out there for your kids today that wasn't there even 20 years ago. Um, so we've given you some reading assignments. Uh, I have, obviously, DVDs both for the public school and for the faith-based community. So, there, you know, and one of the reasons I like DVD in the classroom rather than curriculum is because you can put good curriculum in the hands of a bad teacher and you're going to have a bad class. But, but on a DVD, at least for 50 minutes, they're going to hear someone communicate abstinence to them who believes it, and the teacher can't mess it up too badly. So that's why, and plus it's cheaper. So um, you, you can check out my website for that. I have a new book that came out. Uh, in January called Nobody Told Me that's written to teenagers about this topic. And the reason it's it's so, I like it a lot, is because it's literally 12 years worth of letters and emails that I've gotten from teenagers around the world. And I put it in, in a format where it looks like their Facebook page. If you're going to hand your teenager a book about sex or certainly one about abstinence or chastity, you've got to know they're going to read it. Well, this is like getting to read someone else's mail. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm giving you a password to my Facebook page. And so the students are reading it, they're loving it, and they're getting wisdom not only from myself but from their own peers who have either made wrong choices or from the ones who made the right choices too, which is exciting and encouraging to students. And so there's a wealth of great information out there. Um, you can get my stuff at pamstenzel.com. Um, and, and all of that's available to you there. And, and there's, like I said, there's myriads of resources. We just need to keep giving kids a message over and over and over again, and eventually I think they get it. Well, Pam, kids, kids really do have a choice, don't they? They, have, they can either go for the quickie, which is the meaningless, less, uh, meaningless sex, the mutual masturbation that they experience with their partner, 
or they can wait for something more meaningful, and that is love, and that's something that's long-lasting, uh, the relationships. Um, I'm hoping that a lot of the parents that are listening to this can model that to their kids. Um, integrity and character do count. How do we, how do we counsel the parents on, on, on achieving that with their kids? Well, you know, here's the deal. If we continue to show kids the results of bad integrity and bad character, and we've got a lot of examples in front of us of that, we can remind the kids, you know what, Congressman Weiner didn't make that choice in one day. These are a myriad of bad choices he made way back here. And we want to re-remind our kids that the choices that they're making right now are the ones that are going to make a difference when they get married. And even if it's hard, it's so much better off to have... I mean, sexual discipline is learned, and it has to be learned before you walk the aisle, not after. And so we need to keep giving our kids that vision for why they're waiting. I'm waiting so that I can have amazing sex when I'm married. I, I won't have to worry about infidelity. I won't have to worry about giving herpes to my wife because of something I did at 16. And, 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 and keep casting that vision for them. And here's the reality. The, the society doesn't want us to believe that we're in control, but we are. They want to believe that we're animals, that we, don't control, we can't control our sexuality, that everybody's doing it. The reality is that you can say yes and you can say no. And like I told this man on a plane one day, your yes to sex doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to say no. Anybody can say yes. It takes no talent or ability. My dog can say yes. It takes integrity, character, and self-respect to say no. And your no is what makes your yes matter. Well, Pam, let's hone in on that a little bit because I like that, that issue of what you get if you wait. Now, I know in my own life, I've been married now for 28 years, and I can tell you that a monogamous marriage gets incredible after 20 years. And, and at least I can tell you that it is well worth the wait. There's something transforming about a 20-year relationship between two people, like two bookends that become yeah. so much together that it's like being part of a whole. It's incredible. Can, can you just elaborate a little bit more on the good things that come to those who wait? Well, well, you did a beautiful job of that. The, the fact that we can live in trust with our spouse, where we're not constantly worrying about what they're doing, where we're not watching, the longevity of, because we're people of, dis, of discipline and character. One of the things that I tell kids is opposites might attract when it comes to personality, but opposites never attract when it comes to character. You're going to get what you are. If you want to be a player and sleep around, well, you're probably going to marry someone who is a player. Because I have guys say to me, well, Pam, I'm going to sleep around now because it's what we do, but when I get married, then I want a virgin. Well, why would a virgin want you? Why would someone who's respected themselves, valued their sexuality, want to marry someone who does not value sexuality? It's not going to happen. And when, when teenagers say to me, you know what, Pam, I, I'm not going to wait to have sex until I'm married because it's too hard and I'll never find someone else who waited. I'm like, really? Want to guarantee that? Sleep around, because you're going to get what you are. And so wouldn't it be so much more important then for us as young people when we're young to be working on who we are rather than, you know, who we're going to get? And, and that's one of the messages I'm trying to kind of pound into the heads of teenagers. 
you know what? If you value honesty, then you need to be an honest person because if you're honest, you're going to marry someone who's honest. If you're faithful, you're going to marry someone who's faithful. If you are, um, if you are a hard worker and industrious, you're going to marry someone who's industrious. So, so these are the kind of things that, that as young people we need to be focusing on. We have uh, about three minutes left, Pam. Uh, I'm going to let you wrap it up, but uh, obviously character and integrity do matter, um, and I'm hoping that the parents can model that for our kids. What do you want to tell the kids in the two minutes that we have remaining on the show? Well, well, let's bring it back full circle. I've asked literally thousands of students, including my own daughter who got married last summer and is, uh, is now a first-grade teacher, who waited until, uh, until their wedding day to have sex. I asked them, how did you do it? How did you get to that wedding day in this culture with all of these pressures that we've talked about, all of this stuff, how did you make it there pure? And here's what they said to me. My faith was real. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And here's the reality. We have everything we need to live a life that's holy and pure and honoring to God and that will, when Jesus said he came, he came to bring us life and that will bring us the life that we need, and that's through our faith in Christ. And so full circle, that's what makes a difference, not only in our ability to make the right choices, but also in the benefits that we reap from making those right choices. So, Pam, people can look for your products, your curriculum, at your website, pamstenzel.com, is that right? That's right, P-A-M-S-T-E-N-Z-E-L.com, and it's all there. And I will be at Kingdom Bound again, looking forward to that. Uh, in just a couple of weeks. So that'll be awesome fun. And for those who are listening, Kingdom Bound is in upstate New York. It's a Christian fair, so it's great. I've been there myself a couple of times. Well, you have been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks and Dr. Michael Arrakis. And please join us again next week for more Reasons to Believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.